few announcements as we are heading towards the end of summer now. One of my favorite seasons, actually my favorite season. We are going to be announcing right now that we are having beach baptism. That is going to be taking place on August 8th. If you'd like to be baptized, the symbol, the outward symbol of the inward change. If you would like to be baptized, we are going to be getting together at the beach. I'll give up more information on that uh, shortly. We'll be putting a post up. Uh, But set it on your calendar, August 8th, and uh, we're going to have a baptism. And uh, I'm super excited about this. Um, So I hope you guys can make it. Even if you're not getting baptized, come hang out with us. Uh, And then also this Sunday, we are going to be having Communion Sunday. So if you would like to go ahead and prepare your juice and your crackers as we get ready to take communion together as a body of believers, uh, prepare that for this coming Sunday. We are still meeting in my backyard at 1030 a.m. if you would like to join us in the backyard. And God is doing an amazing work right now. We are thankful that we still get to meet and that we are uh, safe, that God has kept us all this way, and that God will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. I wanna encourage us not to allow fear to hinder us from faith. Yes, fear is a real thing, and God deals with it. God allows us to come into situations sometimes where we come to an end of our own means, so that he can then move, so that we can trust in him, not in man, not in ourselves, but that we can trust in him. And may we be dependent fully and completely upon him, knowing that his will for our life is going to take place, that when he desires that we complete something, when he puts a call on your life, you become invincible until you fulfill that call. Now, I don't recommend trying to jump off of a building because I don't know what the call is exactly for you and God, for God and you. So we don't know that. But we do know that when God calls us, when God is for us, who can be against us? So with that uh, encouragement, turn your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 18 as we continue now our study through the book of Genesis. To the night, the title of the study is The Destruction of Sodom. And we are following now right here, the life of Abraham. We saw how Abraham was changed to Abraham by God himself. That God had given the covenant promise to Abraham that Abraham's offspring would end up blessing the nations. Abraham was told that he would have a son through his wife, Sarah, even though Abraham was in his 99 years of age and his wife also in her 90s. So they are looking at this promise of the Lord like this is an impossibility, which God had to take him to this point so that Abraham would surrender this attempt to try to fulfill the promise of God. Remember, Abraham and Sarah tried to do that. Sarah convinced Abraham 
maybe he didn't need that much convincing, but to take the maid as a wife and to have a child through the maid, which he did. He had Ishmael, but God did not want to fulfill, and he did not fulfill the covenant promise through Ishmael. He told Abraham, no, you are going to have a son. Now, we're right here in this portion where Abraham is getting closer. Remember, God told him, look, a year from now, you're going to have a son. And now we begin chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that, you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So interesting, Abraham's there. All of a sudden, these three men appear, standing next to him, as if he didn't see them approaching, but they just appeared. Who are these three men? And Abraham, we see him showing himself to be a great host, a good host, see hospitality in their culture is super important. In the Semitic culture, hospitality was huge. You were supposed to have a, a room, a guest room, ready for any wary travelers who were coming through. Uh, the Semitic culture, that word for Semitic, that means anyone who is a Hebrew, Arabic, or Aramaic, Jews, and even Palestinians, they're all Semitic. And in the Semitic culture, they were very big on loving their neighbor, on being hospitable. Now Abraham here, notice who he's speaking to in verse 3. He says, my Lord, and in my Bible, Lord is capitalized. It says, in your sight, why is capitalized? We're going to find out as we continue to read that he's actually speaking to the Lord of hosts, that is God. Now, there are instances in the Bible which many scholars believe that Christ himself is appearing pre-incarnate, meaning before he came to the world through Mary, that he is appearing now to Abraham pre-incarnate, and this is known as a Christophany. Now remember, in the Trinity, there's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So many scholars and theologians believe that this is exactly what we're seeing right here. Look at verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. Ooh, cake. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. 
So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Are you guys hungry yet? I'm getting some cravings. Uh, This is the, the Semitic food that they have. And notice the butter and that they used to have. I, I wouldn't imagine that it would be butter that we have today in our fridge at all. They didn't have even refrigerators back then. So I'm thinking of all, all this Mediterranean type of food. And uh, if you ever get to take a trip to the, the Mediterranean or, or Israel, the food is great. It's great for about five days. And then after five days, you start desiring to eat beef and cheese on the same plate because Jews don't eat that together. They also don't eat pork, so you're missing out on the bacon for breakfast. But their food is really good. It's really flavorful, really delicious. Um, And, you know, Mediterranean food is quite an experience. But notice this is what's important right here. The angelic beings that came to visit Abraham, they're eating. They have physical bodies that God had allowed them to have in order that they might visit Abraham. Now, these two angelic beings, as you study the scriptures, you're going to read of angels entering into time and space and eating with physical bodies and moving around in physical bodies. Now, angels, as you study the Bible, they're not omnipresent like God. Neither are demons. Neither is the devil. To be omnipresent means that you are everywhere all the time. But angels and demons and Satan, they're not omnipresent. They can only be in one place at one time. And they are seen presenting themselves here to Abraham. Remember the angels, they even would present themselves before God in the book of Job. They would present themselves to God and God would ask where they had been. So they could only be in one place at one time. Now, these angels, here's a little Bible theologian study for you. What we recognize them as being is called Avi Eternal. That's A-V-I dash eternal, meaning that they could enter into time and also exit time. They can enter into eternity in the heavens and they call also exit eternity and go into our time and space. Now, remember God, when we study his attributes, he's omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere at all times. Not that he is in everything, but he exists everywhere. God is not in the tree. He's not in the microphone, but God exists everywhere. Now, God being omnipresent, he cannot come into time and nor can he exit time because he's already present. God is not bound by time because he created time. It's an instrument that he uses. Now, Jesus, the God-man, in human flesh, 
did enter into time, which is probably what we're reading right here, this Christophany. Jesus was not a phantom, but he did have a body. And he was 100% God and 100% man. So let's look at what these angelic beings and the Lord say to Abraham as they visit him. It says in verse nine, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Now, look at what Sarah is doing. She's laughing in disbelief. But this type of laugh, it's almost a a mocking laugh. As if she thought the men's words, these angels' words and the Lord's words were foolish and stupid. She thought, how can a woman of my age enjoy the pleasures of conception or of raising a child? I'm too old. But God's ways are way higher than our ways, remember? In verse 13, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Wow. Now the Lord is calling Abraham out on about his wife. He's saying, why, why is Sarah laughing? And the Lord knew exactly what was in her heart and in her mind. And he quotes it. God knows all things. Nothing was hidden from him. So he asks Abraham, and this is a question that you should, in verse 14, highlight the beginning of verse 14, underline it in your Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is anything too hard for God? Is there things that God is not able to do? The simple answer to this question is no. God is omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. But I'll ask you this. Is there anything God won't do? And the answer is yes. Because God will not go against his character. He won't go against his own goodness of his nature, of who he is. There are things that God will not do. Perhaps you've heard the question, can God make a rock so big that he wouldn't be able to carry it? That's a silly question because God is spirit and rock is material. The question is, it's self-defeating. But what about this? Can God create another 
infinite being, can God create another God like himself? Now that question is almost a trap because if you say, well, he, he can't, then you're saying that God's not all powerful. But if you say, well, yes, he can, then you're saying that God would do something that's against his nature. And again, remember, there's, God is all powerful, but God will not go against his nature. Now, this idea that can God create another infinite being? Well, what does the word finite and the word infinite mean? Remember, infinite means there's no beginning, there's no end. And finite means you have a beginning, you have an origin. So whatever God creates, it has a beginning. Now, before we get too deep in the attributes of God, it's a whole nother study. Let's continue on in our chapter. In verse 15, it says, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, what are those things in our life that we're thinking it's just too hard for, for the Lord to do that? Well, that person, he, he's too far gone from the Lord. He, he can't be saved. She can't be saved. Oh, the, the finances, they're, they're too immense for the Lord. And God wants me to, to stay in this spot. Or the, the job, it's too hard for the Lord to get it for me. The relationship, the call, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. We need to have faith that God is working out his ultimate plan and we need to be patient with it. We need to be abiding in Christ in this season as we wait upon the Lord for what he has next for us and enjoying the lessons that God is trying to show us in this season. Remember, Abraham and Sarah, they had been waiting for many years, for a long time but God was preparing them for what was to come. And there was nothing hidden from the Lord. God knew exactly what Sarah had lied about. She denied it in verse 15. She said, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. Now in verse 16, then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had spoken to him. See, God is showing here this relationship that he has with Abraham. The Bible teaches us that God considered Abraham a friend. Wow. And God here is going to now reveal these plans to Abraham because he knows Abraham can handle them. Whatever lessons that Abraham's going to learn 
through this revealing, God knows he's ready for it. So in verse 20, he says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. You see, the Lord is preparing to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah right here. That's why the angels are there with the Lord. Because the Lord, he hears the cries. The cries that are from a result of wickedness. So know this. God knows. God hears. He sees. He knows of the injustices that are going on in this world today. And even in the text. And God is going to complete his justice, his mercy, fully. We wait for that day. We look toward it. Now it is interesting that when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of just this city that was in some very dark sins, just debauchery. But in the book of Ezekiel, God himself says exactly why he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And the sins that he lists for the destruction probably are not what we're first thinking of. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read this verse to you. God says this, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter, that would be Gomorrah, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. These were the great sins. These were the reasons that God destroyed Sodom. Perhaps our mind automatically goes to the dark sexual sins, uh, homosexuality, uh, bestiality, and just rape, and that's what we read about in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God simply states that the reason why he destroyed them was because they were prideful. They had plenty of, of food and prosperity and they were just gorging themselves. They were lazy. They had this abundance of idle time. It was like vacation. Kind of sounds like Vegas, no? And they also did not help the poor and needy. These are sins that each of us probably have experienced in our own life in one way, shape, or form. So this is how much God hates these sins in our life. He hates it when we're prideful, when we're not following after the call, call of God in our life, when we're idle, when we're just living just luxuriously without the Lord guiding us. So may we be humble 
May we work hard for the Lord. May we love one another and love the poor and the needy. In verse 22, then the men, the angels, turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 24, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Now there's something I wanna highlight in verse 25. How Abraham is now beginning to bargain with God. And as he does this, he begins to bargain with the Lord. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing as this. Now, Abraham doesn't fully understand the situation of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because as we were about to read, he begins to try to bargain if he could find just a certain amount of righteous people in that city, he would ask that God would spare the city. But in the end, God finds none but Lot. Now, something we need to be careful of is we need to be careful not to stop God's plans. Far be it from you, Lord, that you should do such a thing. These same words are repeated by Peter in the New Testament. When Jesus begins to talk about his crucifixion, that he's going to be led to be killed, Peter begins to say, far be it from you, Lord. And you see this pattern of God revealing his plan to a person, whether it be Abraham or Peter, and suddenly they say, far be it from you, Lord, that you should do this. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but you are mindful of the things of man. So when God starts to put his plan in front of us, may we not get in the way. When you see a movement of the spirit, jump in it and stay in his lane. Now, as God is gonna give you this plan, Sometimes we think that we're here on point A and God needs to pick us up and drop us at point Z at the end of the story. But we forget that God is going to reveal every step B and C and D. He's going to take us through it one by one. And as we're prepared, as he prepares us, as he readies us, he's going to get us to where we need to be when he reveals his plan to us. And we don't always understand everything along the way. That's okay. But God is molding and shaping us. And every season is preparation for the next. Now Abraham, as he hears the plans of the Lord, he's now continuing to bargain with the Lord. And one thing that he does have 
right is that the Lord does not desire to destroy the righteous with the wicked. This is a common theme of the Bible, of God's work, of his character. Look at verse 26. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be found 40 found there. So he said, I I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose dirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way. As soon as he finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is an interesting scene as Abraham is bargaining with the Lord. He's trying to get that price lower and lower and lower. And he's like, oh, please don't be mad. Just a little more. And he's just trying to work it down. And the reason being, I believe, is because he's perhaps concerned about his nephew Lot, who he knows has been hanging around Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there is that question, though, that he does ask. Would God destroy the righteous with the wicked? And again, I remind us, in the Bible, we do not see this as God's pattern. In fact, we see God sparing the righteous when he himself judges the world. The Great Tribulation. We read about rapture. Heaven and hell is salvation itself. We see this theme that God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Well, then, how do I become righteous? You on your own, by yourself, you can't do it. But with Jesus Christ, when you die to yourself, when you allow his righteousness to become part of your life, he takes the sacrifice and you get salvation. You get a new life full of the Holy Spirit. One without judgment, without condemnation. Look at chapter 19, in verse one. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. 
When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, remember Lot. When Abraham and Lot, their tribes started to become very big in the land that they were dwelling, and there started to be disputes amongst their herdsmen. Abraham said, hey, look, I, I don't want to have beef with you over beef. So why don't you take your herds and your men and go wherever you choose. You could go to the left, you could go to the right. And whatever you, way you pick, I'll just pick the other way. And so Lot looked out. He looked over the plains and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah and the plains that were right before it. And the plains were beautiful right before Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, I'm going to go that way. And so Lot went there. And the Bible says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom, facing this city, the sinful, wicked city. So first he pitches his tent toward Sodom. And now at the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 19, it says that he's sitting at the gate of Sodom. And that's what compromise is in our life. First, we sometimes see things, we think of things, and then we begin to act on it, compromise it step by step. We inch our way closer and closer to darker sins. Now, perhaps you've heard it said, well, sin is sin, right? All, all sin is the same. No, that's actually not true at all. The Bible teaches that there are sins that are worse than other and that there are also judgments and punishments for different levels of sin. Now, the idea probably comes from the Bible that says that just one sin will basically cause us to go into hell. So once you've sinned that one sin, you've broken all the commandments and all the law. I think that's where people get it mixed up with that sin is sin, because yes, one sin will make us unrighteous completely. But there are levels. Now, as Lot is here, now in the gate, now remember the gates of cities back then were used by elders and by city members for business dealings and men uh, of high respect in that city. And if Lot is here hanging out at the gate, he's hanging out with basically the elders and the city men. And in verse two, it says, and he said, as these angels approached him, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them carnally. Now, this is the depravity of Sodom right here. 
men both old and young, they witnessed these two angelic beings in human form come to Lot. And their depravity led them to seek out these men and where they were going to Lot's house. When the Bible says that they desire to know them carnally, it literally means sexually. This is how depraved these men were. Now, especially when you get the mob mentality. And if you ever see a mob as you see it on TV nowadays, it's like a, a hive mind where people start to do crazy things because they think they can get away with it because there's so many, they're in mass numbers. In verse six, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Now this is Lot's full-blown backsliding. He himself has gotten to the point now where he is offering up his own daughters to these men to be used in order to protect the visitors that had come to his house. That's how wicked the city was. This is how depraved that Lot was willing to offer. Perhaps he was just so full of fear. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. doesn't make Lot try to look good. doesn't even make Abraham try to look good in parts of the Bible. It gives us the account of what happened exactly the way it happened. And this is so that we can see how God's people became what they are today. What molded and shaped them. The good things and the bad things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it above. And so this is what we're reading about. But I can't help but think that in this day and age, we are headed towards this depravity again. Now, sometimes we think, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah is you know, so far from where we are here. You know, that's crazy pagan devil worship and all this madness. It's, uh, it's so far away. But one of the biggest portals, I'll call it, and to the same depravity. It's right here on our fingertips. You can go anywhere you want, whenever you want, see anything you want, good or bad. But this is the new generation that we are entering into where if we are not guarding our hearts and our minds, that we can enter into this depraved 
lifestyle so easily. Men and women alike caught up in all types of perversions and sins and, and not only sexual, but also in, in pride and hate and anger and in abuse, rioting and maliciousness, sex trafficking, all available at our fingertips nowadays. And it's going to get worse. So knowing that, what do we do? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. The simple relationship of knowing Jesus deeper and deeper each day is what keeps me, what keeps the church away from that. May we pray on the armor of God every day so that as the world turns darker and darker, we can look to hope, to be a light, to pull people out of the darkness, that God can use us for this, that there is hope, that one day all of that, all that evil wickedness, it's gonna be wiped away. It's gonna be drowned out completely obliterated in God and his glory and goodness and peace and love and mercy will reign under him. It says the government will be upon his shoulders. And we look towards the hope in that. Now in the meantime though, we hope in what God is doing today in our lives. Did you pray with someone today? That's one of the easiest ways God can just start that, that Holy Spirit fire and you just offer someone, hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe that's, maybe that's scary, then just start praying for them and you don't have to make a, a big show of it. But if we wanna see revival in our world, in our nation, it needs to start with you. It has to start in ourselves. Draw a circle around yourself. Start praying. Pray that God changes you from the inside out. And this is a message for me included. Because what we see here in our text is, is a man who fell into the clutches of the world. Look at verse nine, the angels, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this is the one, these are actually the men of the city. This is the one who came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Notice 
the fierceness and the violence of this mob seeking to rape these men and then quickly met by the power that the angels possess, that's the power of God, that these men were saying, look, who who's this guy Lot? He's now trying to act like a judge. as He was a foreigner in our land, and now he's trying to act like a judge. We're going to mess you up more than we were going to do the angels. And thank God he sent those angels because they pulled Lot out of their clutches, and then they struck these men with blindness, and the men were trying to claw at the house, trying to find the door. In verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law, who married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Many times people, they don't believe in what they have not seen, what they have not experienced. In, in Noah's time, God told Noah to build the ark because it's going to rain and he's going to flood the earth. But no one had seen rain before. So they didn't believe Noah. And it rained. In the Israelites' time, when God told them, hey, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey. But what they saw was giants and they didn't see the promised land because they didn't believe. They hadn't seen God giving them victory over giants before. And here again today, look at Jesus Christ. People didn't believe because they didn't see. They didn't understand what God was doing. We've never seen Jesus return on a white horse to judge the world. But Jesus said, blessed are those who don't see and still believe. So may we believe without seeing. His son-in-laws, Lot's son-in-laws, they thought he was joking because they had never seen the fire of God rain down on earth. And in verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. See, Lot was lingering. Perhaps his family was holding him back, but nonetheless, he lingered. 
but God in his mercy many times provides a way of escape as he did with Lot. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. See, God puts that way of escape in our lives. Many times we, we don't run to the way of escape. Many times we like to linger like Lot did. We like to be around the fire of the enemy. In verse 17, So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now, the city is near enough to flee, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. So first Lot experiences this miracle where these angels are like, dude, Lot, we need to go now. And he's lingering. So they just grab his hands and boom, he's teleported outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And after Lot experiences this miracle of God just moving him out of the city, he then begins to doubt that God would continue to keep him safe on the journey. The angels are like, we want you to go. And he's like, oh, no, I, I, I'm scared. That's, some evil is going to come upon me. Let me go to this little city, and this word Zor. So we see Lot is a very doubtful man. Verse 21, and he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing. Also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken, Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. And Zor literally means little or insignificant. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord, out of the heavens... So he overthrew the cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. We see here the wrath of God. God is a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. He cannot deny himself. In verse 26, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. See, Lot's wife looks back at the city. When they told him, don't even look back. She sees this sinful city. She's looking back to the world. And God creates out of her a pillar of salt. This is maturity in a believer's life, is that we do not dwell on the past. 
Dwell on the on what God is doing today. Uh, sometimes people get too caught up in their testimony of how wicked they were before they met the Lord. Sometimes they can't even shed off some of the wickedness from the world. But maturity in a believer is when we don't dwell on the past. Look at what God is doing today. What is he doing today? Where does he want to take you? In verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and set Lot out of the midst of of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Let me close with these verses. Looking at God's wrath, because God's wrath is very real, taught in the Bible, that he has to judge sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Some people argue that Christians are going to be here during the Great Tribulation, the worst tribulation that has ever occurred on this earth. But when I read my Bible, multiple times I see that God does not appoint the righteousness for wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God desires us to be with him in eternity forever. He does not desire that we end up in hell, but because he loves us, because he gives us free will, he gives us the choice to make. So we see in our, in our text how important it is to believe God's word, what he says is going to happen, that it is going to happen not to be led into sin, not to be led into compromise, but to know that God, because he's a good God, is going to deal with evil one day completely, entirely. And that he has so much love that he desires that we repent. And this is something that we can do daily. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Lord God, may you go before us, Father, this week as we prepare to be used by you, Father, and however you desire, however you see fit. Lord God, I pray and ask that if there are people struggling, Lord God, with sin, that you would use us, Father, to point them to you. 
Father, may you forgive us for our sins, Lord God, as we forgive those who've sinned against us, Lord God. We're no better. Lord God, cleanse us, use us, mold us, shape us. May we believe in your word. May we believe in the promises that you've given us, Lord God, of good, of a plan, Father. You never leave us. Fill us with your spirit. May the name of Jesus be on our lips. May we share what he has done for our lives. We love you, Father. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like a prayer, uh, feel free to give us a message and we would love to reach out to you. Uh, we're always here. And uh, God, more importantly, is always there. So let's end with a song of worship.